Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. So this morning we're going to be dealing with 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we'll be, we will be dealing with verses 20 to 28. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 28. And those of you, if you miss a Sunday or if you miss one of the Sundays that I spoke, then you missed out on verses 12 to 19. And there are three sections. This is two sections already that we dealt with, we dealt with uh, as far as the resurrection and chapter 15. We dealt, first of all, where Paul is saying, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto all, to you also which you have received. In other words, the gospel that Paul preached to the Corinthians was resurrection gospel. And then he says, and that gospel is the gospel you stand on, and that's the gospel that you believed. And then he goes on, and then he brings out the importance of the resurrection in verses 12 of chapter 15 to 19. He brought out the importance of the resurrection. And now, this morning, we're going to be dealing with the impact of the resurrection or the results of the resurrection, or if you want to call it the consequences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, this morning, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. And Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I pray that you open up the hearts of each and every person this morning, that they will be able to understand and comprehend your word. Lord, change us and work in us. Whatever areas that may not be uh, favorable in our lives, whatever areas that you may be displeased with, Lord, begin to move and take those areas out of our lives that we may be a person pleasing in your sight. Lord, we give you the praise and we uplift our hands before your divine presence in praising you and worshiping you and inviting your divine Holy Spirit to move in this morning's service. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <coughs> now, when we deal with the subject of the resurrection, it is a subject that is a very profound subject that is very hard for even the finite mind to understand. See, it's hard for, for us to understand with our limited capacity of understanding. It's hard for us to understand the supernatural and sometimes the spiritual things of God. But we find that Paul gives it a lot of importance concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just to give you a little bit of a, of a re review, there were some at Corinth that it seemed that they were getting caught up in believing, they believed the resurrection of Christ, but they had doubt or they were getting wrapped up in a, in a philosophy and a doctrine of not believing the resurrection of the believer. They were getting influenced by others that were, com that were coming in with this type of doctrine. 
So you find Paul begins to deal with this area, and in chapter 15, he begins, in the very first verses, he begins to deal with them that the gospel that they received, the transformation that took place within their lives, took place because of the message that he preached, and the message that he preached was the message of the resurrection. And you find that throughout the book of Acts, all the disciples, they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the very first message that Peter preached. The very same Jesus that you, you crucified and with wicked hands was nailed upon the cross is the same Jesus that arose from the dead. So the power in the lives of the apostles, the powerful ministry that they had, the very message that they had was the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul tells them, that's the message that you have received. And that's the message in which you stand. The very fact that Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And then he goes on. And in verses 12 to 19, you find that Paul began to speak to them about the importance of the resurrection. And we dealt in that area how he said, if Christ did not resurrect from the dead, then all our preaching is in vain. And he brought out facts concerning the consequences that they had to face if Jesus Christ did not resurrect from the dead. He said, our preaching is vain. And then he went on and he says, and you are yet in your sins. And we who are apostles and speak about the resurrection of Christ, we're all made liars if Christ did not resurrect from the dead. So he brings out the importance and the consequences if Jesus Christ did not resurrect from the dead. And now in verses 20 to 28, we find that the apostle Paul is bringing out the impact that it has upon our lives, the impact or the results of the resurrection. And it had tremendous results. In fact, you're sitting here this morning, and we're able to rejoice in the blessings of God. Not because if Jesus Christ would have been nailed on the cross, and he would have, been, he would have died, and he would have been buried, and he would have stayed in the tomb, well, it would have been nice of him, to have gone to the cross and, and died for humanity. It would have been a real humanitarian uh, expression of love. But the reason why it wouldn't have done anything for us, but the reason why we're able to sit here this morning and we're able to rejoice in the presence of God and the blessings of God, the reason why you have victory in your life this morning and you could say that you're victorious it's not only because of his death and his burial, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he arose from the dead. And because of that, we're able to, to sit here this morning, and it's had a tremendous effect upon our lives. So there are consequences involved in, in not believing the resurrection, and there are consequences involved in the resurrection, in other words, the results, there are results when we talk about and we take a look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's begin to look in verse 20. Now it says in verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead, 
and become the first fruit of them that slept. And you notice what Paul is saying? After he brings out all these negative things about, well, if he didn't resurrect from the dead, then this is what the situation that we would find ourselves right now. We would still be in our sins. We would be, of all people, most miserable. Uh, we, the apostles would be liars. And he goes on bringing out all the negative concerning what would happen, and he's opening up their minds and opening up their eyes to what would happen if Jesus Christ did not resurrect from the dead. But then in verse 20 he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. He says, but it really didn't happen that way, that he stayed in the tomb, but the very fact is that Christ arose from the tomb and he resurrected from the dead. And then he says, and it became the first fruit of them that slept. Now, that word first fruit means that he is the very first. Or it means that he is the guarantee. We have a guarantee. We have a promise that we could stand upon. It's been guaranteed that as Jesus Christ also resurrected from the dead, that we too shall also resurrect from the dead. So this is what Paul is saying. He's become the first fruit. And the idea of the first fruit comes from Leviticus, where they used to bring from the, from the land, they used to bring the first fruit. And they used, to, they used to dedicate it unto God so that then the harvest would be blessed. This is the very same principle that we use with our finances. We're supposed to give of our first fruit, just like they gave in the Old Testament, giving God from the top, giving God the best. And this is what God demanded of the Israelites. So they would bring their first fruit, and then they would have the guarantee that their harvest would be blessed. So the very same way Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is the first fruit of them that slept. I like the way he uses that word slept. Now it's not really the sleeping of the soul, but it's more like the sleeping of the body. Instead of putting, bringing it out in, in, a, in a horrible sense, see, Paul... The concept that Paul had of death was not a horrible concept. The concept that Paul had of death was like the body just goes to sleep. And then he said, and to be absent from the body is to be present with my Lord. So he says, uh, you know, to him it was, more, it was victory. To him it wasn't defeat. Death wasn't, didn't have a sting anymore. Then death wasn't victorious over him anymore. So, he, so as far as in, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, death was like the sleep. The body was like going to sleep. And he doesn't bring it out like the body is decaying or anything like that. He's not bringing it out in horrible terms. He's bringing it out in beautiful terms. The body just going to sleep. And he says, and he is the first fruit. Meaning that Jesus Christ arose, and because he, is, he arose from the dead, we have the guarantee that also it's going to affect our lives. It has an impact upon our lives. And what Paul is telling the Corinthians, if you, ref, if you deny the resurrection of the believer, then you have to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But because Jesus Christ arose from the dead, 
then that's our guarantee that we too shall also be risen from the dead. And then in verse 21, it goes on, and Paul says, For, by, so, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now Paul goes on to give an analogy. And there were probably some Corinthians that were saying, thinking and saying, but how could the death of one man, and this is what the natural man would say, the natural man would say or imagine within his mind and say, but how could the death of one man have such an effect upon humanity? How could the death of one man that died 2,000 years ago have such an effect on people today? So the Apostle Paul gives an analogy, and he answers that question, and he says, For since by man came death. Paul takes us back again to paradise. Paul takes us back again to the origin of sin. How did sin come into this world? How is it that we find ourselves sinful creatures? And Paul points out to the very origin, and Paul, Paul points out to the very beginning, and says, since by man came sin, meaning that because of one man's disobedience and one man's transgression, sin came into this world. Talks about Adam. And we all know the story how he was in paradise, Adam and Eve, and they were perfect before the eyes of God. They, they, were, they were clean. There wasn't any, any death. Uh, there wasn't any sorrow. There wasn't any suffering. They were living in, in, in what we would call a paradise. But because of sin coming into their lives, because of yielding to sin, they lost it all, and death came into this world, and suffering came into this world. And the inheritance of sin, we all became sinful creatures because of Adam's. We're all from Adam's race. So Paul is bringing out the reality that if by one man, sin came into this world. And that brings me to this, that we're all sinners without Christ. By one man, Paul says, sin came into this world, then also... By one man, meaning Christ, then also we are all made alive. By Christ, we're all made alive. The very same way, the very effect that had Adam's sin had upon the human race, then also Christ, by one man, died upon the cross of Calvary, resurrected from the dead, has had a tremendous effect upon our lives that those of us that are in Christ have also resurrected in the newness of life. And we're all made alive. This is the analogy that the Apostle Paul is bringing. The thing I want you to consider this morning is this, that the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says this, no, not righteous, no, not one. That's why Nicodemus, you find when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he was a good, moral, uh, religious, self-righteous man. But as soon as he came before the presence of Jesus Christ, Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He who is born of flesh is flesh, but marvel not that I say unto you, Nicodemus, all your righteousness does not cut it. 
All the religion that you have does not cut it. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. See, there's a difference of being born of the flesh. If the only birth you've had this morning is being born of the flesh, then you're still under the condemnation of Adam's sin. You are still under that condemnation. You are still under that curse of sin. But the only way is if you're born of the Spirit. And there's a difference when you are born of the Spirit. So he who is born of flesh is flesh, but he who is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So by one man, Paul says, sin came into this world. Then also by one man, also Christ has brought life into this world. So he says, for sin, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And then in verse 23, but every man in his own order. Christ, the first fruit, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Now he's bringing out that there's a, there's a special order that, this, that we have to follow. That first of all, it is Christ that resurrected from the dead. And because Christ resurrected from the dead, then there's going to be a resurrection of the dead for the believers. There's a day that the believers are going to resurrect from the dead. But you notice what it says? It says, and it tells us when it's going to happen. It says, but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruit, and afterward they that are Christ at when? At his coming. Now there's a number of events that the Bible speaks about that are going to take place that haven't taken place yet. See, the Bible speaks about the judgment seat of Christ. That's an event that hasn't taken place that will take place. The Bible speaks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, these are things, these are promises, these are events that we can look forward to. There's the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says that all men shall be judged. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. There's the judgment for the sinner, and there's the judgment for the believer. So there's the judgment seat of Christ, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then there's also what the Bible speaks about, the coming of the earthly kingdom, the thousand-year reign where we shall... Christ shall be for a thousand years reigning upon this world and upon this earth. There's the new heavens and the new earth that the Bible also speaks about. But before all these things happen, and before all these things become a reality, first of all, the, we must go through the experience of the resurrection of the believer. And it tells us when it's going to happen. It tells us over here, at his coming. What coming is he talking about? He's not talking about the first coming. The first coming, Jesus came as, a, as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He came in a baby, in a manger. Then he was crucified and put in a tomb. He resurrected from the dead. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. 
But he left a promise, and he left a promise to the disciples. And this is the promise, and this is the hope that we also have this morning. He says, I go, but I shall come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Thessalonians speaks about it. Talks about the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise. And we shall meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there's the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but over here Paul is talking about his appearing. And when he appears, those, those that are dead, those, those bodies that are in the grave, those bodies, whether they've been decayed, or, or bodies where they've rotten, or bodies that were buried at sea, somehow, even though we cannot fully understand it within our own mind, but somehow, in a miraculous way, the Bible says that the graves are going to open, and the dead in Christ shall rise. And then the Bible says, and we who are alive and remain. That means the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's talking about the rapture. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with That's simple theology. But it's hard to understand, isn't it? Huh? Could you see yourself? Imagine, it says, in a moment we shall be changed. Mortals shall put on immortality. The corruption shall put on incorruption. And in a moment's time, we shall be changed. And it, all we suddenly taken up. And when we talk about taking up, we're talking about bodily. The Bible speaks about bodily, the rapture means that you've, you've, been, you've, been, you've been snatched. That means the great snatching. Suddenly you're snatched and, and you're taken up and there's a, there's a disappearance that takes place and suddenly it hits the news and, and all the newspapers and all the radio stations and all the television stations. Christians missing all over the world. They're going to say, where are the hallelujahs? There's a song in Spanish that says, ¿Dónde están los aleluyas que cantaban? ¿Dónde están que decían gloria a Dios? ¿Dónde están que lo busco y no lo encuentro? El Señor a su iglesia levantó. The rapture of the church. But, but we're not going to precede them. Before we're taken up, says that the graves are going to open. Now you have to understand this, that it doesn't mean that all the souls are asleep now. Just talking about the body. Because we also find that Paul talks about that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what happens when a person dies? A Christian. We're talking about Christians. See, Listen, what Paul is talking about, first of all, he's talking about the Redeemer. And he brings about, he talks about the Redeemer, first of all. If you want to jot this down, you can jot this down. He talks about the Redeemer, meaning Christ, and the resurrection of the Redeemer. 
And then he begins to talk about, in these verses, the resurrection of the redeemed. Praises of the Redeemer, the importance of Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead. And then he talks about what kind of effect did it have upon those that have been redeemed. And then he goes on and he talks about, that we're going to be getting into it in just a moment, the restoration. Restoring and bringing back again the paradise that the first Adam lost. This is what Paul is talking about. The work of Jesus Christ. And then it talks about, it talks about even the very end. And we're going to get into it right away. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Gets me excited. So then there's the, the resurrection of the body. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means that all the saints are up there in spirit. But one of these days there's going to be a, a, a togetherness, a combining of the bodies. Somehow the bodies are going to, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. They're going to come together, and then bodily they'll be up in the clouds, and we bodily shall be transformed into glorified bodies in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. There'll be a gathering, a meeting together in the clouds. And then after that happens, then we go into what is called the judgment seat of Christ, and then we go into the Marriage supper of the Lamb. And the bride and the groom are joined together. And then after that we come on our honeymoon. <laughs> the bride comes with the groom on the honeymoon. Back to earth for a thousand year reign. So Paul when he talks about his coming. He's talking about but every man in his own order. Christ the first fruit. And afterward they that are Christ. At his coming. Christ first resurrected. Now, it doesn't mean that Christ is the only one that was raised from the dead. Because you find, you, find, you find examples in the Bible. You can look into the Old Testament. You find that there were people that were raised from the dead. Christ is not the only one that was raised from the dead. See, in the Old Testament, the prophets raised people from the dead. In the ministry of Jesus Christ, you also find him raising people from the dead. Remember that? You find different accounts through his miraculous ministry and also the ministry of the apostles that they raised people from the dead. But the difference between Christ and these people, these people all died again. But when Jesus Christ arose from the dead, there was a change that took place. He arose from the dead never to die again. So he is the first fruit and he is the only one that has resurrected from the dead never to die again. Now, there's been some that have been translated into heaven. You remember Elijah? Elijah was caught in that in a chariot of fire and he was translated bodily into heaven. So Elijah is bodily in heaven. They told what kind of body? Well, it isn't the flesh and blood body that we have. There was a glorified body. There was a transformation that took place because the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So the very same way that somehow there was a transformation that took place in the body of Elijah is the very same way there's going to be a transformation that's going to take place when the rapture comes. Then also the Bible speaks about Enoch. Enoch walked with God. And he got so holy... He got so into it 
He became such a fanatic that the Bible says that he was so much, he was more in heaven than he was here. So the Lord says, I might as well just take him. And he went ahead and he took him. Enoch walked with God and God took him. So you find that these are people that bodily were transformed, but we only find one account of the resurrection that we're talking about. And this is why the Bible speaks about Jesus Christ as the first fruit. And then his resurrection takes place at his coming. And then in verse 24 it says, Then cometh the end. Now you know that there's an end? You say, but is there an end? Isn't, isn't there eternity? What type of end is it talking about? Is it you just die and it all ends it all? Is it finished? Well, Paul says, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And you notice what's happening now? This world is still... of the air. This is why Jesus said that the, 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 the God of this world, he speaks about it in the word of God, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the people. Speaking about Satan. This is why the Christian, we say, this world is not our home, this world is not our resting place. See, Adam lost it. Because of the sin of Adam, he lost his, his authority. He lost the, the, the rights that he had concerning this world. He lost that state of paradise. And this is why the Bible speaks about Jesus being the second Adam. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam brings life. The first Adam lost the paradise. The second Adam is to restore it to paradise. So the job of Jesus in coming into this world is to fight against the principalities of the air, to come against Satan himself, to have that conflict with, with Satan, with the devil. And then it speaks about that he's received all this authority and there's going to be the, the conflict will take place. It'll take place, for instance, even after we're raptured and even after the resurrection, there's a tribulation that's going to take place, seven years of tribulation in this world. Now, I, I, I'm a pre-tribulationist. I'm not a post-tribulationist. There are some people that are saying, post-tribulationists, they're saying, we're going to go through the tribulation. Well, I don't know about you. I, I, I'm not expecting to go through the tribulation. I am a pre-tribulationist. I, I believe that before that tribulation takes place, the rapture is going to take place. And while the seven years of tribulation are taking place over here, we're going to be with the Lord in the marriage supper of the Lamb, having a feast with our Savior and with the Lamb of God that died for our sins. But then he comes back again to this earth. We come back with him, the church. You know what he does to the devil? He gets the devil because we find that the Bible speaks about in Revelation that there's going to be a thousand year reign. 
And he's coming back, the Lord, the King of Kings. That's what it talks about. He's coming back. The first time, he, the second coming, or if you want to call it the first event of the second coming, he comes in the air. He don't step foot upon this earth. But the second event of the second coming that we know after the seven years of tribulation, we find that Jesus comes back again to this world and he steps foot upon this world. And then he establishes what we know his thousand year reign, which we know it as the millennium. One thousand years. But to establish that 1,000 years, and the Bible speaks about that in that 1,000 years that the devil is going to be taken, first of all, he's going to get a hold of, of Lucifer, and he's going to throw him into that bottomless pit and put him in chains for 1,000 years. And then he's going to rule upon this earth and the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ upon this world. And he'll be ruling, and he'll be ruling with a rod of iron, and we shall be with him, and we shall also be ruling with him. Then after the thousand years are up, then he's going to loosen the devil. See what, the, what the, the job of Jesus, what he has before him, the task that is before him? Then he loosens the devil. And then the devil comes, and he starts coming again with all those fallen angels. They come against Jesus Christ again. And then Jesus takes a hold of the devil and binds him and this time gets a hold of that, that big red Lucifer. And when he gets a hold of him, this time he doesn't throw him into the bottomless pit, but he throws him into the lake of fire. And then we also find that there's a resurrection for those that are damned and those unbelievers, which is called the white throne judgment. And that's why that's what we call as the second resurrection. This is why it's important for us to have our part in the first resurrection. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the believer. The second resurrection is the resurrection of those that are damned. Those that have rejected Jesus Christ. And then he gets those that are in hell, see? Goes to hell and gets those that are in hell. And they come up and they're judged before the great white throne judgment. And all the sins that they've ever committed will be clear. Without any doubt, they'll be before their very own eyes. They'll see what they committed. The rejection of the Lamb of God, the Son of God that came to take away the sin of the world. And then one by one they shall be judged. And then... The unbelievers themselves and those that are damned shall also be thrown into the lake of fire with the enemy that has deceived them. And then the Bible speaks about that even death himself, he shall even take death at the very end and even destroy death. Right now he has victory over death and he was a victor over death, but there's still death and still death has a sting. But one day he is going to take death and he's going to do away with death. So this is what Paul is saying. And now as I read it, you'll be able to get the, the glimpse of it. And he says, but every man in his own order, Christ the first, after they there, Christ that is coming. Then the end, shall, the end cometh when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. After he did all these things and he takes care of everything, 
And you know what he's going to do? He's going to take the kingdom and he's going to deliver it and give it to the Father. Isn't that like Jesus? He comes and he, he has his office as the mediator between God and man, as the savior of the world. Then after he does all his job, then he takes the kingdom and he says, Father, I have done the job that you have given me to do. And here they are. Here's the kingdom. Now what kingdom is he talking about? He's talking about people. We are the kingdom. He takes us and he presents us to the Father. And then it says over here, And he shall have put down, and then cometh the end, when he shall deliver up the kingdom unto God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, and this will happen when he has put down all rule and all authority and power. When he's taken the devil and he's dealt with the devil. And it says, For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And then the last enemy that he's going to deal with, it says, And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So he does away, he takes death, and he says, Oh, death, now not only do I have the victory over you, but now I'm going to destroy you completely, that never again there's going to be any need of death. Never again is anyone going to experience death. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And then verse 27, for he has put all things under his feet. Now when it says he, that he has put all things under his feet, that he means God the Father. For God the Father has put all things under the feet of Jesus. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest or it is obvious that he is accepted, meaning that it is obvious that when he says he's put all things under the feet of Jesus, it doesn't include the Father. It says, but he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And then we conclude by this verse, and it's beautiful. And when all things shall be subdued, oh my, when all things shall be subdued, when Jesus took care of business, when he took care of business, we all know the outcome. Here it is. Devil and the, the lake of fire. All those in the lake of fire and everything. He did, did his job. When all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself, always the form of a, of a servant, then the Son also himself shall be subject unto him that put all things unto him. And then that part, part that says, that God may be all in all. Isn't it just like Jesus? You see the picture? He does his job. See, the Holy Spirit has a job. This is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit right now. There's the Godhead, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Old Testament, you find the Father. The New Testament, you find Jesus doing his job, dying, resurrecting. He ascends up into heaven and he says, I send the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You won't be alone because I'll send you the Holy Spirit. He shall be with you. He shall lead you. This is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Then finally, when Jesus finishes his work and finishes his job, then he takes all those that are redeemed and he brings them before the Father. And he says, Father, I have done what you have given me to do. And after he delivers the kingdom to the Father, then he goes and he takes his place back again into the Trinity. 
Because it isn't that Jesus stops ruling when he turns it over to the Father because the Bible speaks about that his kingdom shall be everlasting. But Jesus has an office and he has a job that he has to do. Once he finishes the job, then he takes his place back again into the Trinity and we find the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then they as one are ruling and we as those that have redeemed come into a oneness and into an intimate relationship with the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we become one with them in relationship and an experience. Something that is very hard for even our minds right now to understand. So these are some heavy things that the Apostle Paul is speaking about. So this morning... How should we act? Should we act as people that are defeated? Some of you can't, can't make it. The old devil's got you, you know, just taking you and throwing you around and stepping on you, abusing of you, scaring you, intimidating you. Should you be intimidated? No, look what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about that we're serving a Jesus Christ that is a victor. We know the outcome of this battle. We know what's going to happen at the end. It isn't something that we don't know about, but we know the outcome of it all. So listen, let us, let us live a victorious life. Let us glorify Jesus by overcoming sin and overcoming temptation and knowing our rights as children of God. The problem is that sometimes we don't know who we are. You better find out who you are. It is good for us to know who we are and the rights that we have in Jesus Christ. We're not serving a Jesus that is dead and buried, but we're serving a Jesus that rose from the dead, send it up into the right hand of the Father, and he shall rule forever and ever and ever and evermore. We serve a Christ who is alive and lives forevermore. I'm finished. Get on that organ. This is why Louis, when I talked to Louis yesterday, I saw him in that bed, hospital bed, and I shared with him, I said, Louis, you don't, you don't, you don't have to accept that. I'm not talking about that, just claim it and confess it and it happens just like that. But you know, there's something about the Word of God. When you begin to get the Word of God inside of you. I said, Louis, what have you been reading? And he says, I've been reading on the afflictions of Job. I says, oh, okay, that's good, that's comforting. I says, but now get into that New Testament and begin to read about the miracles. As I begin to read about how Jesus worked miracles and how he performed miracles, begin to get that scripture, read about all these miracles that have taken place in the word of God. There's something about God's word. There's that faith of God that God is able to drop within our hearts. You know, the enemy, he brings everything, that sickness is from the devil, it isn't from God. It all originates in the first Adam. You know, the sickness, even Jesus, when he went to the cross of Calvary, it wasn't only spiritual healing, it was also physical healing as well. 
He says, by my stripes ye are healed. That healing is not only a physical healing, not only a spiritual healing, but a physical healing as well. And this morning, whatever your need is, oh, he wants to touch your body. He wants you to be an overcomer. He wants to give you the victory. And this morning, he could make himself real to you. I believe you've received enough of the word of God to be able to stand upon the word of God and know who you are in Christ. And know that we are serving somebody that has defeated the enemy. Adam lost it. Jesus restored it. In fact, there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, the Bible speaks about. And forevermore we shall reign with him. For we shall reign with him. You hear that? We have part of it. We're included in this relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning I want you to stand with me. I want you to raise your hands and begin to praise him. Raise your hands and praise him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen to me. Those of you that are sick in body, I feel that there's healing this morning for you. I'm not going to ask you to come. But right where you are, if you can, place your hand. If you can, place your hand in that afflicted area of your body. And we're going to believe God that right where you are. Then our brother over here mentioned a prayer request for someone. Let's believe God for it right now. And whatever need you have. There are some of you that have been living defeated lives. And man, you've been looking like a poor Christian. A stumbling Christian, a defeated Christian. The Lord wants you to pick up your head and look at him and know that he's a victorious God. We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.